My name is Peter, I'm a recovered alcoholic. Uh, grateful to be alive and sober and part of a sacred place called Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, thank the group for having me back. And I just want to take a second to thank these two gentlemen for all the hard work they do here. So we can just give it up for those two guys, man. They paid me to say that, by the way. Uh, grateful to be here and get to share with you guys um, what it was like, what happened, what it's like now as a result of uh, the 12 steps in the big book, Alcoholics Anonymous, and what this loving God has done for me and continues to do for, for me by the process of removal and taking away things that I think are really important to me, where my wants get dressed up as needs, and God knows better than what I want and what I need, even though my mind tells me what I want and what I need. And God continues to remove as the process of recovery requires and demands. And what's left at the end of the day, and hopefully at the end of this journey, is absolutely nothing. And I hope there's nothing left of me by the time God calls me home. Because my entrance to paradise will be a blissful one. And my entrance into Alcoholics Anonymous was not. My journey in Alcoholics Anonymous has had its trials and tribulations, uh, but the further along I get and the more God leaves nothing in me, uh, the more blissful I am on this path. And one thing about recovery is a lot of things that sound like they don't make sense, like in nothing there's more and more there's less. But the less of me that is there, the less self that's there, the more God will experience and the more God will experience, the less of me is around, which means I'm completely free, huh? And one of the things I had to get used to hearing and then get internalized, even at a cellular level, that my greatest enemy was what I was always thinking. My greatest enemy was my mind. Now, God sobered me up on June 23rd, 1988, and I'm a recovered alcoholic. In the past month or so, I, I seem to God moves me into reflection as to where I've been and where I am now, and I'm very grateful for where I've been placed and continue to seek this power to desperation of a drowning man. I didn't think I was going to be around here much longer. The voice in my head would always tell me, who are you kidding? And uh, God keeps removing that stuff along with the thinking. Right? My thought, my thinking, my thinking, my thoughts, my thought, my thinking. It goes on and on and on. It doesn't stop. It never gets tired. It's always looking to take me back to that which is killing me. But what happens is through the erosion of the ego and the self, the self-centered alcoholic, the self-seeking alcoholic, the broken alcoholic, uh, through that removal, I stand before my creator raw. That doesn't feel good when that happens for any of us. When that, when that uh, comes to realization that I have nothing, there is nothing in me. There is nothing that I know how to do right. I don't know how to live life on life's terms. I can't even tie my shoes without calling my sponsor seven times. I don't know how to do this. And that is a great thing when we get to that place because the only place to turn to is to God and in the surrender. Please help. And then I have found out, and we use the word God, please help me, but God's not a helper. God's not like one of the little elves who does a little chore. 
We use the word, I use the word, God, please help me with this. But really what I'm doing in spirit is I surrender to you and you take over. I will help. I don't need God's help. I need all of God. If I help you, if I ask you to help me move a table, you're going to grab an end and I'm going to grab an end. And what I'm doing in surrender is God, you take the whole thing. I'm broken. I can't do this. And I need you to do it for me. And I just show up uh, with a spirit of willingness. So some of the things we take a look at once I had to take a look at in surrendering to step one, that coming to a place of no power, choice, control over the first drink before I drink, no power, choice, control uh, with the first drink after I drink, and my life is completely unmanageable, not only with the external conditions, but my internal condition. I'm not connected from God. I'm disconnected from this power called God, which means my mind is running my life. And it'll always take me back to a drink, a drug, or unspiritual behavior that will take me back to a drink or a drug. And I don't even know what that day was going to look like. And for a real alcoholic like me, the person on page 21 or in chapter to the wise, they described it, uh, the, the alcoholic type four, that's me, going to meetings was not going to treat my alcoholism because I couldn't even get to a meeting sober. Or I get to a meeting, run home and get drunk. What I needed was a relationship with God. And God will kind of smooth out the edges. And God will remove what's in the way. And we feel like I felt like I was actually dying going through the steps. A few times I questioned it. You know, I was easier just going to meetings and hanging around. Because going through the work doesn't always feel good. But if I go to the gym to get in shape and take care of my body the first few weeks is torture. And I say, what am I doing this for? Why am I doing this for, right? Why am I dieting? Why am I working out? But after a few months of doing that, I like the effect produced by taking care of my body. And then I wonder, how did I live like the other way for so long? Once we start to experience, once I start to experience a relationship, a current relationship with my creator, I wondered, why did I walk in the dark for so long? And the people who I was attracted to when I was sound asleep, thinking I was awake, but completely sound asleep, were no, no longer attractive to me. What I was attracted to were spiritual men. And many of us, and I was one of them, walk around in Alcoholics Anonymous sound asleep thinking we're awake. We get into relationships sound asleep. We make love sound asleep. We take care of our children sound asleep. We eat, sleep, and drink sound asleep. We go to meetings sound asleep, wondering how come I can't get that place called nirvana. It's because we're sound asleep. What the work will do is wake us up. And suddenly we wake up and we don't know what to do. Our design for living based on what we've been doing has been removed. That doesn't feel good, but it's a great thing. Here's the question. Do I have a mind-dominated life or is life moved by the spirit? Do I see the world through the mind? Do I hear the world through the mind? Do I operate out of this level of consciousness or I move and, and integrated with God? Most of us live with the mind-dominated life. Which is fear-based and insecure. So I confront really well and make you think I'm in control as to what I'm doing and I'm no longer powerless and I'm a spiritual guru until I leave the meeting and get my car and the voices are on me. And I'm thinking, I'm always thinking. It's all fear and insecurity with an ego the size of Texas. I wonder how come I just can't be still? How come I can't experience ease and comfort? I never will if I'm dominated by my mind. And we can be in this deal for a really long time. We can be sober for years, even in the work. And every once in a while, the mind will, hook, will get in. And we will hook into a thought, thinking the thoughts are who we are, and off we go. And it stops when it feels like stopping. Wishful thinking, positive affirmations, 
Doing good deeds are not the remedy to this, but it's again another surrender, a daily surrender to this creator. If I think about the thinking that goes on and anything good it's ever done for me, I'm left with an empty bank account. The truth is true until we find out it no longer isn't. That's a rude awakening for many of us. We operate on our mind, self-sufficiency. Man's got to do it. A man's got to do it. Be a real man. Man up. Do what I got to do. I'll figure this out. I'll do take over. And it sounds really good, but it never works. It's fear-based, insecure delusions of grandeur. It never works. It's not. It's not God-reliant. There's no. There's no. Uh, uh, turn into God. It's all self-sufficiency. And if I'm in self-reliance, I'm in fear, which means my life's unmanageable, and I have current agnosticism. It just doesn't work. It's a vicious cycle, huh? And I come to Alcoholics Anonymous, and they say, your best thinking got you in trouble. I heard someone say just recently, my best thinking got me to AA. I was like, what school did you go to? No, complete degradation, humiliation, and God taking me out of that place being AA. My best thinking didn't me get to AA. My best thinking wants to get me away from this podium and get me drunk. That's what it wants to do. There is no such thing as my best thinking. And that's a belief system we have to challenge. If you want to know how well we're doing, if I want to know how well I'm doing, I take a look at my belief systems. Right? God's everything except when it comes to money and sex, then I got it. Right. So you all laugh because you totally identify with that statement. <laughs> right. Yeah, me too. I don't, nobody touches my money and sex, right? Want to see how well I'm doing? Take a look at my belief systems. The truth is true until we find out no longer isn't. We hit step two. We've got to take a look at that, and it's going to call us into action in step three. The truth is true until I find out longer, no longer isn't. The belief system is God is out there somewhere, and perhaps he is, and I'm over here, and I need to do what I have to do. That's how I felt. Don't drink and go to meetings. Put the plug in a jug. All self-reliance, all self-sufficiency. Go to meetings. I'm going to go to double up on my meetings. I'm going to do this. In fact, those folks who take a coin, when they say, how did you do it? They should just say, on my own, because I did what I had to do. The reality is you just got grace. You didn't do anything on your own. And that's a rude awakening when we take a look at our belief systems that we honored and would even fight for. The truth is true until we find out it no longer isn't. My mind has a set of belief systems, and they come to, I come to Alcoholics Anonymous, and they say, listen, this power is going to restore you to sanity, wholeness of mind, truth. And the insanity for me was going back, doing the same thing over, expecting different results. I have a mind. Incomprehensible demoralization is what my mind wants to take me to. When our book talks about grave emotional mental disorders, I thought it was folks on medication. No, it's me who's never been on meds. Because I have a mind that's broken, that wants to take me back, will pull me away from you, pull me away from God, pull me away from working with others, and drag me right to a bar stool. So my best belief systems never work. Well, what a rude awakening. I thought a real man depended on himself and did everything himself. Self-sufficiency. Get another notch of self-sufficiency on my belt. Look at me. And all I can do is suck on another pint of Mr. Boston Blackberry Brandy. A book talks about uh, Christopher Columbus. If you think about it, we operated with a flat world. Everything was made. Decisions were made about travel on a flat world. If you go too far, you're going to fall off. Don't only go out so far, you're going to fall off. The dragons will get you and you'll die. 
And so that's how we operated. He comes along, had to be a real alcoholic, because they told him, don't go. He said, I'm bringing my friends with me. I'm going, right? <laughs> Came back, didn't know where he went, right? <laughs> Borrowed money off a woman to do the whole thing. I mean, this is alcoholic, <laughs> right? right? But he discovered that it wasn't a flat world. It was round. Did the trip a couple of times, and then we realized that we were living with the truth that wasn't true, and we have what we have now, the way we travel now. We put men on the moon, etc. Could you imagine if we were still operating with a flat world? You see the ignorance in that? And the real ignorance is thinking God isn't there, and I'm operating out of fear in the mind. So how often do I approach the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous and look at it and say, oh, no, that's not for me? How often do I approach God and say only so much or the 12 steps and back off? Because I don't want to become like one of those folks who are in the book and I have contempt prior investigation. All this stuff is in the way if I'm not done, by the way. If I'm not complete surrender, complete surrender, either on the way into Alcoholics Anonymous or surrender in Alcoholics Anonymous, those sort of belief systems, that sort of contemporary investigation will get in my way. And here's how it works. Very recently, um, maybe a year ago, I have my higher power. I pray to this being. I would go to church, my Catholic church, and light some candles. But I had a problem with going to Mass, and I had a problem with the institution of church. For the obvious headlines we read and some other things I would see, and I had some contemporary investigation about the church, and so I'm only going to go on my terms. And then something woke something up in me, go home. You need to go home. You need to go home. You need to go home. And I go through the work, and I go through the work, and I look at these resentments that I have, and something sparks. And I go to my church and I sit in confession. I talk about all of this stuff. And I've been going to Mass ever since. And I'm wondering how did I live in AA and I was doing okay without that. I had contempt pride investigation with about 24, 23 some, something years sober. And the mind was still in that little piece. Had a little hook in a little piece of me. And I got used to it and I thought it was status quo. Everything seems to be going okay, feel pretty good. I love the effect produced by God, apparently not enough. And I went to confession to make amends to my priest on the feelings I had about church, the feelings I had about the people who run church and the religious dogma, and it went on and on and on. He didn't try to sell me, he didn't do anything. He said, you're forgiven. That Sunday morning I went to church, and it's been the greatest thing that's happened to me in recovery. Contemporary investigation, all generated by a thinking mind, won't even let us know it's operating when it's operating. And that's why we need sponsors and awake members say, hey, you see what's going on with you? I'm going to challenge you on this. And if I lose your friendship, fine, but I'm going to challenge you anyway. Step two is a direct challenge to everything we think we are and about what we think God is. All our belief systems, because they're telling us right here that I'll get to a place that this power called God is going to restore me to sanity, which is a wake-up call. You're telling me I'm insane. Yes, prior to the drink, I am. Absolutely insane. Once I get loaded and I do what I do and I run through the streets and things happen to me, that's a result of using. That's a result of being drunk. Getting arrested drunk and disorderly is because I was drunk. But what goes on prior to the behavior? All action is born in thought. Something in my mind says it's okay to call her. Something in my mind says it's okay to take the drink. Something in my mind says it's okay to place this bet. And it goes on ad infinitum. 
And the more we do that, we get some instant gratification because there's some pleasure in that stuff. You can't deny that. There's some pleasure. Instant gratification. There's power, there's control, there's affirmation, there's all of it. That goes on for a split second like a drink or a shot of dope. And then what? It doesn't tell me you're drifting from AA, you're drifting from God, and you're drifting right back to another drink. You're dr drifting to more degradation and humiliation. It doesn't tell me that. Never tell me that. My mind won't tell me that. My mind will say, go ahead, go. You're good. Look at you. You're a star. Get a six-pack. Why not? <laughs> One bag of dope. Come on. What's that going to hurt? <laughs> right? Well, I'm not shooting dope. I'll just have some pills. This will be nice. I'll just relax because it is the heat tonight, and I want to watch the playoffs. I'll eat a handful of pills, but I won't shoot dope. This is a good thing to do. This is what the mind does. All, right. All you relapses know exactly what I'm talking about. Lack of power is my dilemma. Chapter 10 Gnostics, most powerful words, uh, most powerful chapter for me in that book. Lack of power is my dilemma. It says it right there in one sentence, what I'm up against. No power. And when we flip that, like my sponsor showed me, take statements, turn them into questions, flip the statement around. With power, no dilemma. So I need to find power. Where do I find this power? I don't need to find it out there. I don't need to look for it out there. The great reality is deep down within. God is within me as much as he's in with you. I think I said it last week. The person drinking or smoking crack tonight has just as much God in them as the Pope in Rome does. The difference is the integration or the oneness with it. We can achieve nirvana right here. We can achieve bliss right here. The pearly gates are right here. All I have to do is walk through, and that requires me getting rid of me and having a relationship with God. How do I do all this stuff? We have 12 spiritual principles that appear at every meeting we go to, and if it isn't in your home group, get them. They should be there. 12 steps, and we wonder how come we can't get better. We have big books. We have 12 steps. We have men and women who can sponsor, but we don't take the inf information. We just wander around AA, wondering why we're still sick. It's like coming in out of the desert, dying of thirst, literally dying of thirst. And, and Orrin says, here's a big glass of water. We say, no, I'll wait. What does it take? Lack of power is my dilemma. With power, no dilemma. Chapter 2 agnostics will tell me how, where, and why to find this power. The great reality is deep down within. That's where. How? Lay aside prejudice and express a willingness to believe in this power. My step one will give me the willingness. My leveling in step one will give me the willingness to do anything. A great prayer to work with is, God, please let me lay aside everything I think I know about the big book, the 12 steps, AA, and you, God, for an open mind and a new experience. God, please let me see my truth. If I was to go through the work tonight, if someone was to sit down and we say, we're going to start the work, we're going to go over it, we're going to go two to 12 steps starting tonight. Everything I have up until the moment I sit down is great. Until I sit down, now it's in the way. I need to have a new experience with God. So everything I have has to be laid aside for a moment in order to grow. I can't hold on to the past. And that stuff will meet me on the back end. So I need to lay aside prejudice. And Why? When I see other people getting well be behind this power, I can't deny what my eyes see. How, where, and why to find God? How bad do I want God? How bad do I want recovery? The sanity I'm being restored to is that my mind will no longer tell me that a drink is good or anything else is good. It's removed. And step 10 is the promise that they backed us up with. Step 10 says the problem has been removed. I don't have to think it through me. Remember where I come from? Worry about 90 meetings in 90 days. The problem has been removed. 
been removed. The thing that's been killing me or the things that are killing me are removed because God takes them and replaces me, replaces him with his power in me. Huh? God takes away this thinking, all the illusion, illusional thinking, and gives me his power, gives you his power. In fact, by the time we get to step 10, we're no longer powerless. That's the belief system. We're always going to be powerless. I'm always going to be powerless. I'm powerless and powerless and powerless. Nonsense. God gives us tremendous amount of power by the time we get to step 10. His power. Because when we do a 12-step call and we clean a drunk up and we throw the stuff down, the, down in the trash, we throw it down the sink, and that's the stuff we used to live for, and it's no longer attracted to us, and we're not attracted to it, that requires great power. Sponsoring someone requires great power for fun and for free. We get great power in Alcoholics Anonymous. We're just not the power. That's the power we go to. So I took a look at step two, and I realized I needed, I needed this power greater than myself to restore me to right thinking. And the only way I was going to get right thinking was through an awakening of the spirit, where my mind is kind of renewed. This emptying out, this flushing out, this, it's called metanoia, this flushing out for renewal of the mind, get a God mind. See, I think I have thoughts, the thoughts have me. I think I'm thinking, and thinking is for me. There's no me involved in that. I'm a slave to it. Based on telling me in AI, you're sick and tired of being sick and tired. Absolutely. But I continue to go down the same path, even in AA. I was in this fellowship almost six months to the day. God separated me June 23rd, 1988. December 22nd, 1988, I was really thirsty again. I was going to meetings. I wasn't in the book yet. I was struggling. I was behaving inappropriately, acting out every moment I could, and wondering why I was tossing and turning at night, why I was thinking and fear-based and insecure, and I just was not right, and I'm not drinking, I'm going to meetings, something's wrong. This is worse than when I was drinking, until I bottomed out. And we can bottom out in Alcoholics Anonymous, and it was a great thing that happened to me, and a gentleman was put in my path and says, where are you with God in the 12 steps, Pete? And I says, when do you start the steps? He says, when you stop throwing up, you're late. So we got new people coming in here getting their little white chips, and we tell them make 90 meetings in 90 days. We're killing them. We're killing them. Don't drink and go to meetings. If you could have done that, they wouldn't have drank. They would have stayed home. They don't need a meeting. If I had the power to not drink, why do I have to go to a meeting? Rather than you're going to die if you don't get God, and it might be today. So I stand ready. I bear witness for you to take you through this book. Let's get started. You need power. We need, I need, you need, we need power. There's, in this room, there's a lot of power because there's a lot of us. Drink don't, doesn't stand the chance in here tonight. But when we go home alone, it does. Unless I'm experiencing this power called God, then I'm okay. Well, what am I going to do? I get to step three, and it's about turning this over to God. Now, here's where problems happen, because the difficulty is me with God and my belief systems with God, and they're telling me to tell my, turn my thinking and my actions over to a God that I don't even know. I'm trying to have a relationship with God I don't know, take a path I've never walked before, and turn everything I think is me over to this power called God. Well, what an order I can't go through with it, but if I've been completely leveled on the way into AA or been leveled in AA, and I know there's no other way to go, then that third step decision isn't that difficult. 
The difficulty that arises is all coming from my thinking mind telling me what I need to do and what I don't need to do. I got here in 1988. I was begging for a solution. It took me six months to find one at a meeting called the Three Legacies meeting, and I found these people on fire with the book in God. I want what they have to offer. They were dressed nice at a podium. They looked impeccable. In thought, word, and deed, they were impeccable. I want what they had to offer. They didn't look like they were gangsters going into a meeting. They were there to worship the meeting, serve others, and work with God. I was, okay, let's go. Where do I sign up? Now, if it was 1987, it was 1986, it was 1985, I wouldn't have heard them because I was still navigating my journey. I'm so grateful for my bottom that I experienced. I'm so grateful for being put in the back of a hallway. I'm so grateful. And we're able to walk today with the feeling of oneness with God. Not even using hope. Not using external conditions. Well, I hope it gets better when I get this. When I get this, it'll get better. When she loves me, it'll be great. When he loves me, it'll be great. When I make that money and we're hoping and we're reaching and we're... It's an unstable foundation all coming from a thinking mind. And there's no God in that equation. When I get right, when I come to the realization, it was hard for me to come to this place, but I got there. When I came to the realization, I don't need future. I'm not worried about the past. I walk with my creator now, and that's all I need to do to walk this journey. Just be one with my God. And external conditions mean absolutely nothing. I'd like to have this, and I'd like to have that. It doesn't mean who I am. It doesn't determine who I am. External conditions are never remedy for this deal. And the delusion is, once I get that stuff, I'm, I'm a guy. I'm, I'm a made guy. I'm, I'm, look at me. I'm great. I got the new car, expensive car, pocket full of money. I can have anything I want. I must be a guru. We reach out there. When I used to come in, uh, when I was new, I was one of them used to say it. Uh, I feel empty on the inside. I got a hole in the soul. And I was constantly reaching out to fill up. And my sponsor sat me down and says, there's no emptiness in you. You're full. You're full of a lot of things, but you're full. <laughs> and what I'm full of is me and my thinking. And because I'm grabbing stuff from outside, anything outside of God is not worth it. But I continue to go for that stuff to try to fill up. The, 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 the effect produced by that is a feeling of emptiness. The new car is great until I start having to make car payments. Right? She's the most wonderful thing in the world until we start to fight. The job is the coolest thing. I'm making lots of money. But they want me to show up every day. I mean, I didn't know this. Right? Right? And it goes on and on and on. And life becomes this new toy, and then it gets old. And I keep bringing stuff. I keep buying into stuff. I keep buying into belief systems and buying into getting stuff to make me feel okay. That's what I did. Even a quick fix. And for a minute, I feel okay. And then I'm empty again. And just the opposite needs to happen. I need to be flushed out with all of me where there's nothing left but spirit. And at that point, I am full. I'm content, and I'm no longer looking for external conditions or relying upon hope to make me feel good. Down there, I want to get, when I get there, I'll be okay. The great reality is deep down within. All I need to do is go in. 
Am I ready to make that decision? Because after step three, my life is no longer any of my business. I may have thought it was my business prior to step three, but step three is saying your life's no longer any of your business. We just turned it over to God, and he really thinks you mean it. God's serious about this one. We play, we bang around, we surrender. It's okay. I'm turning my will and life over to carry you. He treats that seriously. It's okay. I'm taking it. The interesting thing about step three, God knew he created egomaniacs. He must have been on a coffee break. He's, oh, no, I made alcoholics. What did I do? St. <laughs> Peter fell asleep on the job. So what am I going to do with these guys? Now, who gave me free will in the first place? God. But God knows I'm an egomaniac. So God says, what I'm going to do is give them a third step. And they'll think they're really giving it back to me when I gave it to them in the first place. Who gave me self-will? And all I'm doing is saying, I screwed it up again. Can you please fix it? And I'm turning my actions and my thinking over to this power called God. And the neat thing about this is my own conception of God, no matter how inadequate, was sufficient to make the approach. Whatever my God is. A G-O-D group of junks for good only direction sufficient. It's the spirit of willingness, a mustard seed of willingness that will move a mountain. And I'm sitting in a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. The mountain's been moved. Sitting in a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous, the mountain's been moved. What am I waiting for? God has sent a million life refs in the form of sober AA members. All you need to do is lock into one and say, okay, you steer me, you guide me. And how I know I'm turning my will and life over to care of God is by how teachable I am and the willingness to be changed. There's greater pain in not changing than the change itself. Staying still is, kill, is a killer. Staying still is torture. Impatience is suffering. All coming from a thinking mind. And at this point, I say, listen, I've screwed up my life. I surrender. I'm turning everything. Make me new. Our book says recreate our life. And step two, they say we're reborn. We're made new. Not born of the flesh. That's our condition. I'll be here in this body till God calls me home. But reborn from the inside manifesting out there. So I'm still 5'11", 190. That ain't changing. But what's going on within me is changing. In thought, word, and deed, as long as I'm aligned with God. And step three says, we're going to start now. Because what you've done is made a mess. Well, there's a crushing blow to the ego. Believe it or not, newcomers, you didn't do too good out there. <laughs> that's not an insult. That's a fact. I know we get our little 90-day chips. And we get our six-month chips. And everybody, guess what? You haven't even scratched the surface. That's another external condition masking the internal unmanageability. Don't let the coins deceive you to do that you're doing great. They're just a coin to symbolize separated from a substance or an alcohol that you claim is true, because we don't know. I've seen lots of people get coins when they were loaded. So here's my question to new people. I'm going to challenge you. Whoever got a 90-day chip tonight, are you in 10, 11, and 12, and how many people are you sponsoring now? Oh, my sponsor said don't do the steps for the first year. They're killing you. Anybody get six-month chips tonight? How many people are you sponsoring? How many times have you gone through the work already? Huh? My friend Art ordered a whole bunch of literature from Akron. The sense of urgency all centered around God, what AA looked like when we got in here. They didn't have red, blue, soap, polka dot, and, and all sorts of chips. <laughs> chips, everybody's got chips. You want to get well? Yeah, we start now. You want to get, yeah, okay, let's go. Let's go upstairs, surrender on our knees, let's move forward. No 90 meetings in 90 days. No such thing. No such thing. There weren't even 90 meetings around. Their recovery rate was through the roof. 
right? And the folks who come to Alcoholics Anonymous and follow the 12 spiritual laws here, recovery rates 100%. Unfortunately, as a, as a whole, it isn't. So I come to step three and I remembered my sponsor, uh, we, we got on our knees and we did a third step prayer together. One of the things he had me do prior to the third step was this. Make a list of where I believe God's working in my life and where I think God isn't working in my life. Make a list of things I'm willing to turn over to God and things I'm not willing to turn over to God and why I'm not willing to turn over God. What kind of fear is going on turning my will and life over to care of God? I'm supposed to have a lot of money and live on A1A. And God says, no, you're going to work in a salvation army. A very humble means you're going to be uh, living. I said, wait, that doesn't sound like what I wanted. Am I willing to do that? What's the fear? When our book tells us in chapter two, Gnostics is God everything or nothing. Everything means everything, not just a few things. And if I can really surrender to God is going to be everything, everything about me, even things I don't know about me, that third step becomes a seamless transition. It's easy to go into step three because my life is no longer any of my business. So I sat on my knees. I got on my knees with my sponsor. I wrote out what the third step prayer meant to me. Some funny language in the third step prayer. God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and do with me as thou wilt. These are funny words. Never heard this language before. So my sponsor had me write out my interpretation of what that prayer meant. And when I completed it, we got on our knees. We held hands and we did third step prayer together. I was a nervous wreck. I'm on my knees alone with another guy holding his hands. This was a little different for me. <laughs> You know, I was like, anyone going to look in and thinking we're kind of weird? <laughs> I remember that day because I thought of I did some strange things for the price of a drink, and I didn't care. I'd do anything for the price of a drink, and this guy's trying to get me well and introduce me to God who loves me and has forgiven me. This isn't too bad. I can do this. And so we did a third step prayer, and then he didn't say, okay, now work a good third step. He handed me my instructions out of the big book for step four, because it says, next we launch out in a course of vigorous action. What am I turning over to God? My book says, rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. What path and how it works? Decision three and four through nine. I just want to read this, share this with you. Rarely have we seen a person fail. Fail at what? Sobriety and God consciousness. Who has thoroughly followed our path. Decision three and four through nine. Those who do not recover a people cannot or will not completely give themselves to a simple program. My mind is complicated. These steps are really simple. They're drastic. They're revolutionary. But you don't need a, a degree in psychology to follow this stuff. I'm incapable of being honest with myself. That's all coming from a mind. I can't take stock of my condition. And what happens is when I'm around here a little while and the ego starts to build up again, it's even more difficult for me to take stock of myself. That's why we need accountability to a sponsor. It says I'm not at fault. They seem to have been born that way. They're naturally incapable of grasping and developing a manner of living which demands rigorous honesty. Am I a man who lives with rigorous honesty? in all areas, because if I'm dishonest here, I'm dishonest in all areas. A little bit of dishonesty is like having a little bit of cancer. You got it. And I can't compartmentalize where I'm going to be dishonest and where I'm going to be honest. If I'm dishonest in one area of my life, I'm dishonest. If I lied once, I'm a liar. 
Boy, the road just narrowed. I didn't even do step four yet. How well do I want to be? The, path, the spiritual path is not easy. There's a squeezing that goes on. Drastic and revolutionary proposals. It talks about suffering from grave emotional mental disorders, and I talked about that earlier. My grave emotional mental disorder was my mind still running the show. The process of recovery is emptying out. This container has to be poured out in order to be filled up with the new spirit or an awakened spirit. So am I willing to do that? And if I'm not, all I need to do is go back to step one. Any kind of problems I have with the step, I go back to step one. Third step problem, step one problem. Step two problem, step one problem. Step five problem, step one problem. What happened to the any lengths I was willing to go to at the beginning, huh? One of my any lengths was returning back to my church. What an order I can't go to that I have some contempt. More inventory. I'm not running my life, and I went back, and what a great experience. So I make this decision in step three, and I started my inventory in step four. And this is where rubber hits the road for many of us because we get to, I had to get to look at, for the first time in my life, me. It was easy for me to point fingers at others for my unmanageability, point fingers to others for things that were going wrong in my life. This is the first time they said, listen, regardless of what other people did, we're going to push it aside, we're going to take stock of you, and that's what I did. And I remember starting to write inventory. The first time I wrote inventory, I didn't know I had to pray before I wrote, and I stopped writing inventory, and I got lazy. I would forget stuff and say, well, my sponsor's not going to listen to this one, so he's not, you know, I, I, I leave it out. And I started to get uncomfortable with that, and my sponsor called me up one time, and I'll clean up the language, but he says, I thought you turned everything over to God. And so I would hit my knees, and I'd say, God, thank you for the power. Be searching, fearless, and moral. And how I do step three is by four through nine. That's how we do step three, guys. Make a decision. How does that show up? By doing four to nine. Pen goes to paper. That's how I carry out my decision. It's the first way to do it. It's a great sign of being teachable and willing to go to any lens because I'm looking at me for the first time, and that's what I did. And I would sit down with a notepad and pen, and I make my master list of names. And I draw four-column inventory. Who I was resentful at, why, what it affected in me, and my part. What was my part? Even though you did bad things to me, even though you hurt me, even though I was involved in a drive-by, what am I still holding on to? Now, I will tell you something. Uh, I, w I was living in this uh, little studio apartment in, in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn. I was finally able to get off my brother's couch and get some money to get an apartment. And I had this little apartment. I had a, it was a bookshelf, and um, I made it into a desk. And I had this kind of swivel chair that was broken. Someone gave it to me. And there was nothing in this apartment. Someone gave me a TV, and someone gave me a little throw rug. I had nothing. I mean that. I had nothing. Um, I couldn't go to the store with a credit card. I had nothing. But I had a big book, and I had AA, and I had God moving me. I remember one night, I always like to share this story because it's what I call the innocent climb. And we can experience the innocent climb a lot. And there's a famous basketball coach who refers to uh, when he was coaching his team uh, um, in Los Angeles as the innocent climb. There were no attachments to what I'm going to get out of this. It was just a team effort. We're going in. Blind, we're going in. I'll back you, you back me. And off they went. And the Lakers created a dynasty. 
What we do in here, what I was able to experience was this innocent climb. There were no attachments. I wasn't doing a fourth step to get her back. There was no her. I wasn't doing it to get a job back. There was no job. I was just trying to keep a roof over my head and stay sober. And I sat at this little bookshelf and I had my light and I made a little coffee and, and I began writing after prayer, write. And I'd write and I'd write until I would get tired, close the book, give prayer, thanks and go to bed. Wake up the next morning, start prayer meditation, do what I had to do, come back and write. And one night I was looking out the window and there was the Verrazano Bridge in the, a few miles from me. And the top of the Verrazano Bridge has these little flashing lights for flying uh, for planes and things. I remember seeing that little thing just flash. It was talking to me. I got gotcha. you. Know, I got gotcha. you. It was talking to me. That light was talking to me that night. And um, I remember feeling I'm not alone. Like there's something right about this. There were many moments in early recovery that was something right about what I was doing. But I like to share that because it was a very crystal clear moment that I'm not dirty anymore. It came out of writing inventory. That's why I share that. I felt like God had his arms around me. The pen was becoming a spiritual translator. And I was doing the right thing with my life. I'm trying to stay sober. I'm trying to find this God. I want to help others. And I'm, I'm doing what they're asking me to do. They tell me to write inventory to get better. And I didn't want to get sick anymore. I didn't want to drink anymore. So I start writing. And the effect produced by that was a very warm feeling with this God. I wasn't dirty anymore. That has stayed with me with all the mistakes I've made in Alcoholics. I made lots of mistakes, barking at people when I should coddle and vice versa. But I've never felt dirty again in Alcoholics Anonymous. And I can do what my dad always told me to do, no matter what's going on, head up and shoulders square. I just come from a different place with that now. Doing inventory. I didn't plan on that. They told me to do it, so I did it. And what I got was this, this moment. And it was just a couple of seconds, maybe a minute or two. But it was enough. That was 25 years ago, about. And I still got that in here. And I'll never lose it. Huh? And all the things that cause that pain and suffering and that dirty feeling, and that we all got that thing that we walk with, every one of us, and that has to get put out. It has to get put on a one-on-one -on -one with a sponsor and a fifth step. It has to go. It's cancer. It was able to be purged out on a piece of paper. Piece of paper. It makes no sense to mine. I get a notepad and a pen, a sheet of paper, and start writing the format that they tell me to do, and somehow the effect produced by that is clean and well and spiritual and right. And what happens? I get a renewing of the mind that the same mind that drove me to drink and drug is no longer driving me there, but to serve others, to worship this God, to be one with God. Oh, my God. Huh? And so I wrote, and I kept writing, and I kept writing, and I kept writing. And I wrote about all my resentments, and I couldn't believe how many resentments I had, starting with my mom. My mom took her life when I was 14. My mom was sick and suffering from the time I can remember. I go back to three, four, five years old. I remember that far back. Mom was never right. As I get older, I start to know what that, that glassy-eyed look was. Mom was high on Valium and drinking. She's a wonderful woman. She's a hero to me for a while. Overcame her own personal demons of sexual abuse, I found out later on. And was trying to be a mom, but she was alcoholic, and you couldn't pull that off. 
You could try, you just can't pull it off. A dad can't be a dad if we're under the influence, can't, can't do it. But her pain and suffering was so great, she took her life. And I'm writing inventory, and I got resentment story, and the first thing, my mind says, how could you write this? Against your mom? And Spirit says, no, put it on paper, because God gives it to us. Anything that comes to me in inventory, it's coming from the Creator, so therefore good and divine. My mind says, let's be very discerning here before we tell the sponsor. No, it purged it out on paper. Don't deny the spirit. Just throw it out. And I wrote lots of stuff about my mom, tons of stuff about my dad, who I didn't like and I was afraid of. And God got to root causes of all of it. And what came out of that was forgiveness of my mom, a relationship with her even though she's passed, and a oneness with my old man. There's no one on the planet I'd rather be in a foxhole with on this whole world than my dad. He's 76. And I still go to him at 54 with some life problems. Dad, what would you do? Because I love him for all the faults in his, all the cracks in his armor. By writing fourth step inventory. Are you kidding me? I got free. And I get free-er. You get free and you get free-er. I didn't have one drink because I got a little buzz. I want the whole vat of liquor. I like the effect produced by God. I want it all. Because the more I got, I'm able to give you. And I go home and I sleep. And it seems the more I give away, my belly's always full. I don't need a banquet to have gratitude. I don't need a pocket full of money to have gratitude. I'd like to have it, but I don't need it. I need one thing, my God, which allows me to need you and have you in my life, huh? What a neat way to go. That's all I got. Peace. Wow.